Well, tonight we are going to be continuing in our Roots 66 series, uh, surveying books of the Old Testament. So if you would, please turn or tap your way to the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth is right between Judges and 1 Samuel. So if you can find one of those, you're pretty close to finding the small book of Ruth. Only four chapters, by far the shortest book that we've looked at so far. And as you're turning there, I want to start tonight with a bit of 18th century poetry. This is good. Listen to these lines. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. This is the first stanza of a hymn written in 1773 by William Cooper. No relation. It's uh, spelled Cowper, uh, but pronounced Cooper. In a hymn titled, after the first line, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Though you might not know the hymn, you've probably heard the words of its opening line used at some point. And if you look into the history of William Cooper, he was a brilliant poet of the late 18th century. And you will find that his life was also marked by great sorrow and deep depression. A depression that was so dark that it at times drove him to seek to take his own life. If you look at his biography, you'll see the role of a friend and fellow hymn writer named John Newton of Amazing Grace fame. And he came alongside Cooper and ministered to him and loved him in the midst of really deep darkness. Yet in the midst of this great difficulty, Cooper was able to pen words like these, deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. These are the rest of the lines of God Moves in a Mysterious Way, which was actually part of a poem entitled, Light Shining Out of Darkness. And they form a beautiful backdrop for the text of our study tonight in the book of Ruth. Against the backdrop of the bleakness, the darkness of the book of Judges, in the midst of a time, as you see at the very last words of the book of Judges, a time when every man was doing what was right in his own eyes, God in his providence gives us, in the days of the Judges, an account of one family through whom the light of God's sovereign power and his steadfast love and his great faithfulness shine forth to them and to us. Very briefly, the the author and, and date, some of the important details of this book, the author is not explicitly stated. It's been suggested, I think traditionally, to be Samuel. It was someone at least in the time of King David, for he is mentioned at the very end of this short book. And as to the date of the writing, will the events take place as we see there in the very first verse? Now it came about in the days when the judges governed. So this is the setting. When was this actually written? Well, sometime, again, after the reign of King David. But since it references him, it doesn't continue on to Solomon or the other kings of of Judah or of Israel, it's, it's likely that this was written sometime in and around the, the reign of King David, which actually takes place maybe a hundred years or, or a couple generations after the events that we're seeing in the book of Ruth. So during the time of the judges, probably toward the end of that period before there was a unified monarchy, when Across the land, people are doing what's right in their own eyes. And even though this is only four chapters, Ruth contains so much meaning that it really is hard to summarize it into one phrase or theme, which I will try to do. But there are many themes and lessons in the book of Ruth. 
I, I was helped by um, listening to the, the first sermon in a series that Pastor Tom did through the book of Ruth. He did on, I believe, Sunday evenings a number of years ago, I think back in 2015 and 2016. Uh, very, very helpful series. And in his first message, Pastor Tom lists several uh, key lessons that come from the book of Ruth. And I'll, I'll kind of restate some of them, which I think are helpful. And I want these to kind of be in your mind as we walk through our text this evening. Ruth provides a really personal portrait of the cycle of judgment and repentance and rescue and redemption that we saw throughout the book of Judges. That was on more of a national or regional scale here in the book of Ruth. It's very intimate. It's very personal. Another thing that Ruth illustrates is that while the times of the Judges were dark, yet there were faithful men and women who sought to live righteously according to God's law in God's land. Ruth also, and many of the characters in the book, or some of the characters in the book, provide an example for us to follow and some for us to avoid. Ruth is described as a virtuous woman or a woman of excellence. That same idea that's conveyed in Proverbs 31 of the excellent woman, we see what that looks like in the life of Ruth. And Boaz, another main character in this story, is presented as a man of great virtue and excellence. We see a godly woman and a godly man exemplified in many, many ways that we bear benefit to imitate. Ruth shows at its heart an amazing work of God's providence. God's providence, that is his sovereign control of everything that works itself out in seemingly random, everyday, normal details. It struck me as I was studying the book of Ruth, we've come from Genesis through Judges, and one of the things that marks all of those books is amazing displays of the supernatural power of God. Creation, the Red Sea, the law, the fire from the tabernacle destroying the false worshipers, the falling of the walls of Jericho, the power of Samson, all of these amazing supernatural things. And yet in the book of Ruth, we see normal people making decisions in the moment, not seeing the big picture, and yet we have the privilege in the record, the record of this in Scripture to see how this seemingly everyday, normal things fit into God's grander purpose of redemption for this family and for us as well throughout all of biblical history. Ruth is a picture of redemption, and it's a picture that the redemption God plans to achieve as he's redeeming a people for his son, by his son, to his own glory, as, as Pastor Thomas helped summarize the scripture God, the king of all of the world, is redeeming his people to live in his kingdom, not just from the Jews, where we focused primarily up to this point, but also to the nations. We will see God's plan of redemption go out to the nations, even to those who are members of God's enemies are brought into his people. Ruth is a beautiful story. Some have called it things like, you know, the best story, the most beautiful story ever written. And it is such a beautiful story. And it unfolds in a series of short scenes which, which powerfully reveal, I think, what is really at the heart of the book of Ruth. And it's this. If I were to summarize it into one phrase, Ruth is about showing the beauty of God's loving kindness and redemption of his people. Those two ideas of loving kindness and redemption are central to the book of of Ruth. And it shows this, God's loving kindness and his redemption of his people in beautiful, beautiful detail. God's loving kindness, his steadfast covenant pursuing love, we will see laid out. And with that in mind, I think you can organize the four chapters of Ruth around that central idea of loving kindness and redemption. In the first chapter, we see the need for loving kindness and redemption, which really sets the context for where everything is going to go from there. In chapter 2, we'll see the hope for loving kindness and redemption. Chapter 3, the promise of loving kindness and redemption. And finally, in chapter 4, the blessing of loving kindness and redemption. 
centered around the idea of loving kindness and redemption, we see the, the need for it, the hope of it, the promise of it, and the blessings of it through this book. So follow along with me as I read. We will read sections of our text and then stop to consider what I believe the Lord would have us see in this passage. So look first at the first verse of Ruth. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They took for themselves the Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they lived there about ten years. Then both Malon and Kilian also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Here you have in a single family a picture of what I think is the, the judgment cycle in Judges. Where do, they end, where do they begin? They begin in Bethlehem in Judah, in the allotted territory given to the tribe of Judah, into this town of Bethlehem, which we will see again throughout Scripture. And we see them encountering a famine. When you see famine in the Old Testament, one of the things I think that we should go to is what the Lord says about famine and the lack of food and the lack of rain. They live in the land of Israel, a land that is dependent upon rain for food. We should think of words that the Lord spoke to his people in the Torah. In Deuteronomy 28, 15, we read the Lord say, but it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. What is included in that list of curses? Verse 17, cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Verse 23, the heaven which is over your head shall be bronze and the earth which is under you iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord promised his people, if they abandoned his covenant and walked contrary to his ways, that he would bring conditions conducive of famine in the land. And it seems like that's what's going on here. Elimelech and his wife and his two sons find themselves underneath a famine in the land, probably, encounter, probably affecting more than just them. They live in a town called Bethlehem, which is the house of bread, and yet in the house of bread, there is no bread to be found. What do they do? They leave. They leave the land of Israel, and they go back. They reverse the conquest and go back to Moab. Moab, the, the nation that was descended from Lot, through the incestuate relationships that he had with his daughters-in-law. Through one of them, Moab came. And through the land of Moab, we see throughout the Torah that, that this is a land of, of God's enemies, of the enemies of the people of God, who would not permit the Israelites to come through their land. It was in Moab that the sons of Israel were, and then the, the nation of Israel was induced to go after sexual immorality. These are not people who love the Lord. They worship a false god named Chemosh in the land of Moab. And that is where Elimelech and Naomi take their family. That is where Elimelech leads them. So it seems, and I, I think some commentators suggest that, that what you have here is Elimelech not participating in the repentance of the people of Israel, but instead leaving the land to try to perhaps take matters into his own hands. If that's not what's happening, if, if Elimelech is just in his human frailty trying to do what he thinks is best for his family, regardless, they end up in Moab. And things go from bad to worse. We start with a famine. Then a family of Israel moves to the land of its enemies, to Moab. Then Elimelech dies. Then his sons marry Moabite wives, Moabite wives who could very likely lead them astray to worship their false gods. And then they stay in Moab for 10 years. 
They went to just sojourn there, possibly for a short time, but now they have been there for 10 years. And then one of Naomi's sons dies. And then the other of her sons dies. And they die before their wives have any children. So here is Naomi in a foreign land of Israel's enemies with no husband, no sons, and no heir. No one to provide for them. This is as I heard in a sermon by Mark Dever, described Naomi is in many ways the definition of a failure. Everything has gone wrong for this woman. So how does Naomi respond to this? What does she do after, the, after all of this happens? Verse 6, she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. What happened? What prompted this? Look in the middle of verse 6. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. The Lord has shown mercy to his people. He has not abandoned them. He has brought food to them. He has providentially allowed their crops to now begin to grow. And so she departs with her daughters-in-law to return to the land of Judah. And her daughters-in-law go with her. There's some bond of connection that has been established. And Naomi says to them in in verse 8, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant you, grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And then her daughters-in-law make a plea that they would continue to be with her, but no, she continues to send them back, saying to them, basically, I can't provide husbands for you. I, even if, if Naomi were to get married, and then Naomi to have sons, and then be able to give those sons to these women, would they wait that long? No, she says, she concludes, it, would be, it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth Against me. You can just feel, I think, the weightiness of this situation. Naomi has lost everything. And this is a situation that she clearly attributes to the Lord. Whether she thinks he did so justly or not is not clear here to me. Yet, despite the bitterness of her situation, she is in bitter situation. She nevertheless does seek the good and shows kindness to her daughters. She's not able to provide, but she sends them home as perhaps a way that the only way she thought of they could be taken care of was to go back to your family. And she prays that the Lord would give them rest, that the Lord would show kindness to them, return kindness to them, that he would give them rest, and that he would give them a husband. And in God's providence, this is a prayer that would actually come true for one of her daughters. Not both of her daughters respond in the same way. Look at this in verse 14. As they lifted up their voices and wept again, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And Naomi, Naomi responds and says, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Orpah though she loves Naomi, decides to return back to her family and notice to her gods. But that's not how Ruth responds. These beautiful words in verse 16, Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. What a picture of loving kindness that Ruth shows toward Naomi. She's determined to go with her, wanting to join herself to Naomi, and not just to Naomi's place, to her land, to her people, to her life, but most importantly, notice, to her God. Ruth, the Moabite idolater, through her relationship with this family, has come to know the Lord God of Israel and to seek to identify with this God. That she promises even to swear by the Lord that if she ever is unfaithful to Naomi, may the Lord bring that to her, bring that back to her. I think 
it can be said that Ruth here is a picture of repentance. She has turned away from her family, from her gods, and has turned to the one true and living God, to his people. She has not loved father or mother more than the Lord. And she, in doing so, pictures a devotion to the Lord and to his people, which we, as Christians, are right to emulate, as I think this brings to mind the words of our Lord, that we are to love him above father and mother and land and all the blessings of this life and clinging to the Lord. And so Naomi agrees and allows Ruth to come with her. And they return to Bethlehem in verse 19. And when they come to Bethlehem, the city is stirred because of them. And they ask, is this Naomi back after so many years? And Naomi responds, do not call me Naomi. A Naomi, a, a word that means pleasant or, or delightful. Do not call me that, but instead call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me Mara, for the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me, the Almighty has afflicted me. This is not a joyful reunion, but rather a lament at the sad situation Naomi and her daughter-in-law have found themselves. As she sees it, God has dealt bitterly with her, brought her back empty, witnessed against her, and afflicted her. She doesn't understand. She feels the, the bitterness. Maybe she understands in part, but, but you can just sense the, the weightiness of this situation. Things are as black as can be. We have here a need for loving kindness and redemption, a need for loving kindness and redemption for Naomi and for Ruth, two widows without property and without, as it seems, any help of sustaining themselves as they've returned to the land of Naomi's home. But God is not finished with Naomi and Ruth. Despite their circumstances, and their circumstances involve things both inside their control and outside their control, despite all of that, God is still at work. He is still the king over this situation. He is providentially in control of Naomi and Ruth's life. And friend, the same is true today. No matter how dark or difficult your circumstances are, no matter how much they are as a result of your sin or the sin of someone around you or just the work of God that you cannot explain, no matter how dark your circumstances, God is still on his throne and he is at work, though it be in a mysterious way. There is for them and there is for us a need for loving kindness and redemption. And that brings us to chapter 2 where we see the hope of loving kindness and redemption. You see a glimmer of that even in the last verse of 22. Where once was famine, we are now at the beginning of the barley harvest. We see here the hope of loving kindness and redemption. Look at the beginning of chapter 2. Naomi, it says, had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This is something that we as the reader are know about, but Ruth and Naomi don't seem to know at this point. Ruth requests that she can go and gleam in the field. She hopes and prays that she might find favor or find grace in the eyes of the one in whose field she goes. And Naomi releases her to do this. And I love this in verse three, as it says, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. From her perspective, she went out into the fields, found a field, and just so happened that this was the field of her relative. But friend, there is no just so happens in God's care for his people and his care for the world. She comes to the field of Boaz, and she begins to work, and Boaz comes from the town of Bethlehem, and he begins to show the great character that he has, for he blesses his reapers in the name of the Lord, and they bless him in the name of the Lord. And he notices someone new. Verse 5, Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young, uh, young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. Verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughter. 
Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water drawers and drink from them what the servants draw. Here is Boaz, this noble, righteous man, and how does he treat this stranger in his field? He treats her with kindness. He provides for her. He provides the opportunity to remain and to work there, and he provides protection. He protects her from perhaps the ridicule or the advances or anything where it says that he commands the servants not to touch him. her. Do not bother her. Here is a glimmer of hope. And Ruth responds to this in verse 10. She falls on her face and she says, why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. News gets around fast in a small town. And how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. Verse 12, notice this, look at verse 12. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. This is such a monumental interaction. Ruth marvels that she finds such favor and grace in the eyes of this landowner. And Boaz here praises Ruth and blesses her in the Lord's name for all the kindness that she has shown to Naomi. It was very quickly shared just the character of this foreigner, of this Moabite woman. And Boaz acknowledges what is, I think, at the heart of the beauty of God's loving kindness and redemption in the book of Ruth. And it is that she is able to receive this beautiful blessing. Why? Why is she a recipient? How is she a recipient of the loving kindness and redemption of the Lord? Verse 12, because she has come to seek refuge under the wings of Yahweh, the God of Israel. The, the wings of God, what does that mean? This picture of God's wings represents God's overshadowing care for his people. The way perhaps a mother bird would put their wings or, or a parent bird would put their wings over their young. We see this picture elsewhere, and we've seen this actually in the Torah. In Exodus 19, the Lord says, in Exodus 19.4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Deuteronomy 32, verse 9, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them. He carried them on his pinions. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign god with him. We see this picture elsewhere in the Old Testament. Psalm 36, 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 91, 4. He will carry you with his pinion, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. Here Boaz is acknowledging what Ruth has done. She has not just followed her mother-in-law, but she has entrusted herself, body and soul, to the Lord God, the King of Israel. And how does Ruth respond to this? She said, if I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you, she says, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant. And then in the rest of this chapter from verses 14 through 16, Boaz continues to provide for her and to protect her. Throughout this encounter, Boaz here is displaying loving kindness toward Ruth. And then Ruth returns to Naomi and tells of all that happens. And Naomi asks where she went. And Ruth shares this with her. And Naomi says, look in verse 20 of chapter 2. Naomi said to her mother-in-law, May he, Boaz, be blessed of the Lord, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. Again, Naomi 
said to her, there in verse 20, again, Naomi said to her, the man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. And she continues from then on to serve there in this field. But back in verse 20, as Naomi says, this man is our relative, he is one of our closest relatives. That phrase translated closest relative is very important in the book of Ruth. The idea of close relative can be referred to in another way by a phrase that is a kinsman redeemer. Close relative is a kinsman redeemer. Here in verse 20, we're introduced to a central concept in the book of Ruth, that of a kinsman redeemer. We see the the root word there that comes here as closest relative elsewhere as redeemer. We see this also in the verb form in this letter or this book of redeem. We see redeemer, redeem, kinsman redeemer. What What does this have to do with? Well, the kinsman redeemer, this closest of relatives, was one whose responsibility it was to provide for the family when they were, say, in financial trouble where they had to sell their property. It was the job of the kinsman redeemer to redeem or to ransom back that property so that the land of that clan and of that family would stay in that clan and in that family to preserve their inheritance in the land. It was also the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer to be the protector, to be the avenger of injustices. In a day where you didn't have a national police force, the role of carrying out justice for wrongs done to a relative was done by the kinsman redeemer. We see these concepts in Leviticus 25, the the idea of the kinsman redeemer preserving the property of the family, and in Numbers 35, where we see the idea of the kinsman redeemer as the blood avenger of his people. This is critical to the book of Ruth. But this is not the first time we've seen a kinsman redeemer in Scripture. The Lord himself in his law refers to himself as the kinsman redeemer of his chosen people. Back in Exodus 6, verse 6, the Lord says, Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you. There's our word. I will act as a kinsman redeemer for you. Exodus 15, 13 As in the song of Moses, they are singing, in your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed. We see this elsewhere in the Psalms. Psalm 103, verse 4, talking about the Lord. He is the one who redeems your life from the pit. Isaiah 54, verse 5, For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your redeemer, your kinsman redeemer, is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. The Lord is by nature a rescuer, a ransomer, a redeemer of his people. And the Lord redeems his people. Why? He does it to show his character, for he is slow to anger and abundant in steadfast love and loving kindness and shows that redemption of his people. He rescues them from their sin. He protects them against their enemies and he provides for them at their deepest need. He is the perfect redeemer. And so here in the book of Ruth, we see in Boaz a picture of what it looks like to reflect the character of Israel's redeeming God through acting as a physical kinsman redeemer to his people. Here, in the person of Boaz, we are introduced to great hope that loving kindness and redemption will be made toward Naomi and toward Ruth. And in chapter 3, we then see the promise of loving kindness and redemption. Chapter 1 shows us the need for loving kindness and redemption. Chapter 2, the hope for loving kindness and redemption, that it might come. We've known that there is a kinsman redeemer. His name is Boaz. 
Perhaps he may be the means which loving kindness and redemption come to Naomi and to Ruth. And in chapter 3, we see the promise of loving kindness and redemption. Chapter 3 begins with a plan in the mind and in the mouth of Naomi. A plan whereby Naomi was going to send Ruth to appeal to Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer of these two widows. And while I won't read all of the details, I will just mention that this is a rather strange set of circumstances. And if you're looking for a, a biblical basis to model your pursuit of marriage, Ruth chapter 3 should not be high on your list. It is inspired, it is profitable, but the point of this is to not tell you how you should um, either set yourself up or set someone else up that you know for marriage. No, this, this has all of the markings of special circumstance uh, written all over it. But the point here, the point of this is that Ruth is going to go at the instruction of her mother-in-law in faith that these actions she is taking will be for her good and for the good of Naomi. She is calling upon the character of Boaz, which we have already seen of being a man of honor and integrity, appealing to him to fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer. Boaz has, has finished with some of the harvest, and he is there enjoying the fruits of his labors, and he goes to lie down at the heap of grain, and Ruth was instructed to be prepared and to be well-dressed and to go in to where Boaz was and to lie down at his feet and then to do what Boaz would instruct her to do. In the middle of the night, Boaz awakens, startled, and sees that there's this woman at his feet, and he asks, who are you? And she answers, I am your maidservant. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Here she is appealing to him that he would spread his covering over the maid. That's the same picture of spreading the wings over. Here maybe talking about the actual maybe physical part of a garment, but the, the picture is still the same. She's appealing that Boaz would shadow over and cover and provide that protection for her, similar to how the Lord covers over and protects and provides for his people. And she says, for you are a close relative. You are a kinsman redeemer to us. And see how Boaz responds. He says, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all the people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. And notice his integrity. He is truthful about the situation. Verse 12, now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. Boaz is honest to acknowledge that, yes, he is a kinsman redeemer, but there is another in the family who is a closer, more kin kinsman redeemer, and it would therefore be his right to serve in this way, to provide for and to protect Ruth and Naomi. And through this situation, Boaz, even though he has not formally taken on this role, he's already showing protection and provision for Ruth. It says that she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. I think these details make it very clear that there's not some sort of illicit uh, rendezvous happening around the threshing floor. She's there at his feet. She remains at his feet separate from him. There, it seems, are others around because he says to someone, let it not be known that the woman came to the, the threshing floor. So he's here trying to protect her reputation, perhaps, lest someone get the wrong idea. And he sends her away with a bountiful amount of food to provide for her and for Naomi. And he 
he ends by saying, wait my, uh, and, and she returns to Naomi, who then says to Ruth, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. You get the picture of after Ruth has this conversation with Boaz that she, she goes to sleep and it's this early dawn and he sends her away and Boaz has one thing on his mind, going to keep his promise. He has promised redemption and promised loving kindness to Ruth and to Naomi. And we see then in chapter 4, the culmination of all of this, the blessing of loving kindness and redemption. Boaz goes to the gate, the place of business, the place of trade, and here comes the close relative, Mr. So-and-so, whose name we don't, we don't have recorded for us. He calls him over, and it says there, in the presence of 10 of the elders of the city, he presents a proposal. Verse 3, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he, that is the, the kinsman redeemer, said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased from, uh, on his inheritance. Here is Boaz, nobly and honestly, though wisely, I would say, presenting the obligations. Here is this land for you to redeem. I will redeem it. And you also get Ruth the Moabitess. Verse 6, the closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. Here in this ceremony, we have both the duties and obligations of the kinsman redeemer to preserve the property, the inheritance of uh, Elimelech. And you also have the, the, the custom and the, the law of leveret marriage, that whereby in, in the law that was to be the brother, but here it seems extending to the kinsman redeemer, the obligation to take the widow of the deceased man, so thereby she may have children, which would then carry on both the inheritance, the land, and the heritage, that is the family line, would not be extinguished in the land of Israel. And then we see in the rest, the center part of chapter 4, the public attestation with this ceremony involving a passing of a sandal so that everyone in all of Bethlehem would know that Boaz is the kinsman redeemer of Ruth and he has taken her to be his wife. Verse 11, all the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. Here, this Moabite idolater has now become a God-fearing member and wife of a godly man of Israel. And the people of this town are praying that she would be blessed and be like the matriarchs of the 12 tribes, Rachel and Leah. Verse 12, may, over, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. May you be like the founding families of our tribe. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord, who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. What a beautiful picture of the blessing of loving kindness and redemption. Naomi and Ruth enjoying a family, a land, and now children through the loving kindness and redemption worked by Boaz. But don't miss the loving kindness and redemption of the Lord overarching all of this. 
this family is therefore a beautiful picture of the goodness of God's steadfast love, of God's faithfulness to his promises that when his people return to him, he would bless them. The life of Ruth, a story that occurs at the time of the harvest, is, I think, a sort of first fruits, if you will, a picture of the blessings of repentance and trust, a trust in the Lord. Ruth puts her whole trust under the wings of the Lord, trusting in his redemption and loving kindness. And the blessings then that she and Boaz and Naomi enjoy are blessings of God's grace to them, his kindness to them, and his kindness, which was not just for them at that moment, but for the future of Israel and for the future of all redemptive history. Look at verse 16 of chapter 4. Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born, notice, to Naomi. She has an heir. She has a child in her family. And they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Amminadab, and to Amminadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David. The book of Ruth ends with one name, David. As, as Tom summarized in his introduction to Ruth, Ruth serves as their, here an apologetic for David's right to be king. David, who we meet in 1 Samuel, but whose ancestry is not given to us, is here traced back directly to Judah, to Judah who, in whom it was prophesied, the scepter shall not rip depart from Judah. This was the kingly line traced back to the patriarch Judah. But Ruth also ultimately points beyond David to David's greater son. Turn into Matthew chapter 1. As we begin to draw to a close, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Ruth has her own book attributed to her in the Old Testament. And she is mentioned one time in the New Testament. Look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez. Continuing down, verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed was the father of of Jesse. And then it continues on. The father of, the father of, the father of. Verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. It is through Ruth then. It is through God's loving kindness and redemption of Ruth that Messiah Jesus would come. Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz here display the amazing beauty of God's loving kindness and redemption. And as we close, I want to ask you, do you know God's loving kindness and his redemption? Have you experienced them? They come not through some ceremony in the Old Testament, but through coming by faith, appealing to the Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, to spread out the wings of his garment over you, to be your kinsman redeemer, to rescue you from the bleakness and bitterness of sin and of living for self, to abandon your gods, whether they just be the gods of yourself, to leave, even if it required so, your family to follow after King Jesus. Have you done that? If you have, you know, you have tasted of the goodness of the redemption and the abundant loving kindness of the Lord to us. But if you haven't, 
If you do not know this, I appeal to you today to come to our Lord Jesus, who freely offers to be your kinsman redeemer, to bear the reproach that might be due, that is due to your name because of your sin, and to trust in Jesus, the one who redeems his people, whose redeeming love welcomes repentant Jews and Gentiles alike into his family, a redeeming love that cares for the widow and the orphan and the stranger, a redeeming love of a Savior who is the provider and protector of his covenant people, Christ, who takes bitterness and turns it to joy, who takes emptiness and turns it into fullness. Christ, who makes idolaters into saints. Christ, who is willing to bear our reproach and to redeem his bride, the church. Friend, these blessings and more are yours to be had in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would, like Ruth, abandon your old way of living for yourself and instead Trust upon our Lord Jesus Christ because his people, his bride, whom he has redeemed, made up of Jews and Gentiles alike, will one day soon be reunited with him. And we will then experience the beauty of God's loving kindness and redemption face to face with our kinsman redeemer. And may we sing into eternity these other well-known words of William Cooper. And with this, we'll close and be dismissed to small groups. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, Though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the stream that flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. And when this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. Let's pray. Lord, this is who you are. You have power to save. And I pray that you would show that power to save. Even as the account of Ruth has been retold tonight, that you would be at the work you would be at work in the hearts of those who have not yet tasted of the goodness of your loving kindness lord may they come to taste it today and for those of us who have oh lord forgive us for not treasuring and rejoicing and delighting in the beauty of your loving kindness and redemption of us gentiles who you brought into your family thank you lord for your word May we not forget what we have heard and may we think on it more and may it bear fruit in our lives. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.